Thank you, Reverend Lee. Reverend Lee has not changed since I knew him many, many years ago. I praise God, you know, Reverend Lee has a pastor's heart. And it has always been my joy to be able to work with him, to see him grow and love the congregation as a pastor. And I know his heart is in the right place and praise God for his love for Jesus and his ministry here in this place. You know, this is sort of the smallest service of all the services that I've preached today. But you remember, when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, it was to accompany of a small gathering that met at the upper room. And as they came before the presence of God in prayer and in worship, suddenly they, 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 they heard this sound of a rushing wind. And the place was filled with the Holy Spirit and all present began to speak in a new language that the Spirit gave them. And that was the beginning of the church. And you know, I want to believe that as we come with hearts looking towards God for a special word for us, I want to believe that as we come searching and seeking, we too will experience the power and baptism of the Holy Spirit and become a, a, a church that God can use to be a blessing to this whole community. You know, about a week ago, I was uh, browsing through YouTube and I like to browse through YouTube to listen to the war in Ukraine or to listen to news and so on. And for some reason, my finger hit a wrong key. Oh, and, and suddenly I saw, I, I was listening to a song sung. And the song was, Yet Not I, But Christ in Me, the song that you just sang. And I wanted to know which church choir is this. And there at the, at the bottom of, of, of the screen were these words, Ang Mo Kyo Methodist Church Choir. I must say they did a fantastic job. If you have, you have time, go back and, and, and key, yet not I, but Christ in me, and, and, and you will see appearing on screen this rendition by Ang Mukyo Methodist Church, and, and they had a, a, a wonderful band accompanying them for this song. You know, this is a beautiful song. It says, What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom. My steadfast love, my deep 
and boundless peace. And to this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. My life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine. I can sing, all is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Then it says, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my sight, the Savior, he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, his power is displayed. My prayer that each one of us may experience the power of Jesus, the power of the cross, the power of the Savior. Experience him in a personal way, recognizing that he is Lord and Master of our lives. I want to thank your pastor, the Reverend Anthony Lee, for inviting me to preach at this service and in the services uh, earlier this morning. Your pastor has asked me to share some thoughts on work, work as worship. So this will be the focus of our meditation this evening as we consider work as an act of worship. You know, it is not often that we think of work as worship. Most of us see work as quite separate from our religious life. In fact, most of us compartmentalize the sacred from the secular. We, we, we consider work as work and church as church and the twain don't meet. Now work for many of us is a necessity of life. We are engaged in some sort of work as a means of livelihood. And so work allows us a means of income to pay our bills, to send our children to school, to put food on the table, uh, have a place to live, buy a car, go on a holiday and live a comfortable life. And because we have personal and family obligations, work becomes an important priority in our hierarchy of needs. And so we spend the first 18 to 23 years of our, of, our, of our lives educating ourselves for a vocation that will enable us to find work that will occupy the bulk of our lives until our retirement. And because work occupies, occupies the bulk of our waking hours, I want for us to look at work with new eyes. I want for us to align work with our faith because as Christians, we are supposed to be men and women of faith. To align work with our communion with God, with our call, with our dialogue with God, with our values, with our witness, with our deep relationship with God to whom we give all glory and honor. Now the ability to think of work as an act of worship will certainly change our approach to work and enable us to link and align our work with our faith. And this will certainly move us away, away from the dichotomy that, it, that exists between the sacred and the secular. 
And so if your Bibles, you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 11, verse 36, and we will read from that portion to Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And in Romans 11, 36, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Then in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of God. Now you will notice that I've chosen the last verse of Romans 11 and the first two verses of Romans 12 as the text for our meditation this evening. And if you are familiar with the book of Romans, you will notice that the book has two main parts to it. The first part covers the first 11 chapters, and it is doctrinal and theological in nature. And Paul, in in these chapters, he talks about the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of salvation, justification by faith, the judgment of God, and so on. Now, from Romans 12 onwards, Paul shifts his emphasis from what is theological and doctrinal to what is practical. He discusses the practical implications of what he has been dealing with in the first 11 chapters of Romans. And so he talks about spiritual gifts. He talks about the marks of a Christian, submission to authority, relationship with, with one another, by imbibing the example of Christ and so on. And Paul makes a very significant transitional linkage in Romans 11.36 when he says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Now, he's saying to the Christians in the city of, of Rome that if they had read the first 11 chapters of his letter, they would agree that all things are from him. All things are through him. All things are to him. In other words, God is at the very center of all things. And on that basis, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the therefore, in Romans 12, 1, links the first 11 chapters 
to the rest of the book. And Paul is saying, if what has been said about God in the first 11 chapters are true, then what follows in relation to the practice of faith is of great significance. And hence, his appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I like the way Paul approaches the practice, the practice of theology. He sets the stage for the application of doctrine by introducing the idea of a living sacrifice. To present your bodies, he says, as a living sacrifice. In others, he's saying, you present to God the totality of your being. It is the, the presentation of yourself as an offering to God. And when we present ourselves as an offering to God, we are presenting the whole of our being, everything to Him. Our thoughts, our attitudes, our vocation, our personality, our resources, our dreams, our possessions, and all that we are and all that we do. Now, a living sacrifice is a sacrifice that is alive. It is not dead. And hearing is the paradox. How can a sacrifice be alive? Whenever we talk about a sacrifice, we normally refer to a dead carcass. That's a sacrifice. But Paul says, I'm talking about a living sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament times, it was the carcass of a perfect animal that was slain and then burned on the altar as a sacrifice to God. Hence, all sacrifices were dead carcasses. The living sacrifice he's talking about is the consecrated Christian. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. The ones who have allowed Jesus to be Lord and Master of our lives. And I, I, I assume that this is true with you. I assume that it is true that you have Jesus as Lord and Master of your life. That's an important starting point. It echoes yeah, his thoughts in Galatians 2.20 when he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. You know, when you say 
I give my life to Jesus. You are saying that you want to be a living sacrifice and that your life is not your own. I think this is a very challenging statement. When you say, I want to be a living sacrifice and that my life is not my own. How many of you attend the watch night service in this church at the end of every year? Pastor, you have watch night service, man? Yeah, okay. So how many of you attend the watch night service? The rest of you pretend that you attend. No. Okay. Now, the, the Methodist watch night service is quite interesting, actually. It's, it's, uh, what it's, what is called a watch night covenant service. It's a covenant service. And every end of the year, Methodists across the globe would say together John Wesley's covenant prayer. John Wesley's covenant prayer. Now I want you to listen to this prayer because it's quite an interesting prayer. And, and here, uh, 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 John Wesley writes this prayer and he says, as we pray, we say, I'm no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt, put me to doing, put me to suffering, let me be employed by thee or laid aside by, for thee, exalted for thee or brought low for thee, let me be full or let me be empty, let me have all things or let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Thou, Thou art mine, and I am Thine. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. And then we say, Amen. Now, this prayer is in essence what a living sacrifice is all about. Now, of course, the question you're, you're, you'll be asking as you're, you're listening to my the trend of thought, you'll be asking, Pastor, how is work linked to the idea of a living sacrifice? And my answer is this. Since work occupies the bulk of our daily responsibilities, it becomes a significant part of who we are as a living sacrifice. And if this is true, then work, which is so much a part of our living, becomes an, an act of spiritual worship. You are presenting your work to God as an inherent part of who you are as a living sacrifice. 
You become a living offering. And there's not a time in your daily walk that you are not an offering. You are in fact a walking sacrifice. It is a continuous presentation of yourself to God as a living sacrifice. Now, if work is regarded as worship, how is worship offered on a real-time basis? How, how do you do that? I know it is easy to talk about work as worship. But how do you actually worship God in the daily execution of your work? How do you do that? What does that entail? And so we ask the question, what is worship? Now, the word worship in verse 1 of Romans 12 is the Greek atria, which can also be translated as service. Worship is service. I don't know whether you remember before before COVID, when you come to the evening service, you will have the ushers behind and they will be distributing you a piece of paper, right? What, what is it called? The order of service, right? Sometimes it's called the order of worship and very often we call it the order of service because worship is service. And work is spiritual service when it is done in honor of God. When you do work in honor of God, you are in fact engaged in worship. Now, many of us don't think that way. And that is why we delink, we delink work with worship. Now, linked to the idea of worship is the word liturgy. Are you familiar with the word liturgy? When we prepare the order of service, we are preparing a format of worship which all of us follow. This is liturgy. For example, this evening when you came, your pastor came forward, and what was the first thing he did? What was the first order of service? What was the, what was the first order? What did he, did he do? Huh? You can't remember. It just happened, you know. Oh, oh, what, did he, what did he do? He, he came up, and what did he do? Try. Ah, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, you got it. Call to worship, right? After the call to worship, what did he do? He, he, didn't, he didn't pray. But he did something else. What did he do? He sing. He sang. Yeah? Did you sing? You sang also, right? So he sang and you sang. So, so there's an order of, of worship and then there's a, 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 a uh, okay, uh, some songs of praise, right? After that songs of praise, what what did what did what happened after that? 
Huh? What happened after that? Introduce the speaker, you know. Uh, Pastor Yamkai came forward and said some nonsense. <laughs> All right. So, so you have first the, and then, and then you have, uh, uh, the message and so on. Now, now this is what we call the liturgy. The order of service, order of worship. Now, the word liturgy comes from the Greek, uh, liturgia, which means public service. The word means public service or public work. In other words, your engagement of work on a daily basis is also your liturgy, your public service. It becomes an act of worship when your order of service is done in honor of God. Your daily work schedule becomes a liturgy, an order of service when it is done in honor of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. In other words, our reverent approach to work makes work an act of worship. And if this is true, what is the reverent approach to work that makes it an act of worship or reasonable service? What is that? Now let me make three statements. Three statements in respect to this. And the first is this. Work is an act of worship when we view work as a call. Work is worship when you approach your vocation as His call on your life. In other words, you believe in your spirit that what you are doing is in fact a call from God. And here is where the tire hits the road. Now, I suspect that some of you do not think so. You do not see what you are doing as a call from God. In fact, you have never thought that to be so. Work is work, la. Why, why you talk, talk about call? It's just work. Work is work. I just go to work. I do my work. But what if it is actually a call? You know, very often, when we think of the call, we think that the call is relevant only to those in full-time service, like your pastors and full-time workers. Our erroneous view is that God calls only persons into full-time service, like pastors and church workers. And so you say, since I'm in secular work, the subject of the call does not apply to me. I'll, I'll just do what I want with my life and just move with the flow. Now, I think it is time to change our minds about the concept of the call. We need to recognize that all of us are called. All of us are called. 
Your call is as important as the pastoral call. Your call is not an inferior call. It is a significant call. You know, when you read scripture, you will notice that God called people to secular responsibilities. Joseph was called to be the prime minister of Egypt. Moses was called to be a political figure to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Bezalel was called to be a craftsman, a craftsman in the building of the tabernacle. David the shepherd boy was called to be the king of Israel. Esther was called to be the Persian queen. Nehemiah was called to be the personal cup bearer of the Persian king out of the Xerxes. And these are all secular positions, but all saw what they were doing as a call from God. And so my question to you is this, what is, what is God's call for you? Maybe we define the word call, what is a call? And simply to put, a call is a determi- determination by God as to your vocation and the location of your witness. It is a determination by God as to your vocation and the location of your witness. Now, if you are called to the pastoral office, your sphere of influence is the church, and it is here that you express your witness. If you are called to be a teacher, that is where your witness will be among students and fellow teachers in your school or university. If you are called to be a lawyer, your sphere of influence would be your clients and the way you represent them and handle legal matters in that arena. Of course, the question which needs to be answered is, how do I know what my call is? Pastor, you talk about call. But how how do I know what my call is? Now, I want for you to begin where you are. If you're not sure, you start from where you are. What is it you're presently doing? And you go on your knees and you ask God, God, is this your call for my life? And as you seek God on a daily basis, He will begin to speak to you. He will reveal His call for you. There will be a divine confluence, as it were, in the direction of your call. As you seek and seek Him with all your heart, you will find Him. As you seek Him, He will will reveal to you His call for your life and it will become clearer and clearer to you. 
There will be a deep assurance in your spirit that you're walking in His will. And then you will also notice the multiplying of your abilities to do what He has called you to do. God will confirm in your heart and spirit the nature and location of your call. And so the first thing to note is that work is an act of worship when we view it as a call. Now secondly, work is an act of worship when work is done to the glory of God. The Bible says our work must be holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. The important intent of work is to give God the glory, and so we work hard and we work well. And as Christians, we carry our witness into the realm of work, and hence work becomes an integral part of our Christian witness. Now, worship is linked to witness. And so as Christians, we need to guard our attitude towards work. I know of people who are slipshod in their work. They take shortcuts and always wanting to do the minimum. They are careless and not bothered with the quality of their work. And when corrected, they submit their letter of resignation and leave. And I tell you, this is becoming very, very common. I don't like, I leave. I think as Christians, we need to be hardier than that. And grow as a witness in our work. I'm not saying that you need to to submit yourself to abuse. But what I'm saying is that you give your best. Laziness dishonors God. Doing work with a grudging spirit is not of God. We conform to God's standards and not the standards of the world. And Paul says in Romans 12 too, that we do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of good, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, work, if work is an act of God, we do not engage in anything that will dishonor God's name. You see, you cannot be Christian on Sunday and a heathen the rest of the week. We, we in fact, bring our values with us in our workplace. And Paul makes this very clear in Colossians 3, verses 23 and 20 through 25, where, where he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You work for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. And so work is an act of worship when work is done to the glory of God. 
Let me move to the third statement, and, and, and this is what it is. Work is an act of worship. When our Heavenly Father's opinion and wisdom is sought after as we engage with our call. And Paul in verse 2 talks about discerning what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, we all know work is not, work is not always easy. We all have challenges. God places us in situations to grow and learn and become better in what we do and, and what we are. As such, He allows us to go through challenges of all kinds. And you know that. You have experienced that yourself. But when work is regarded as worship, we are not alone. We have with us a divine mentor to whom we can turn to all the time. We are in the company of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because we dwell within the boundary of His call, we can rely on His favor. We echo the prayer of the psalmist who says in Psalm 90 verse 17, Let the favor of the Lord God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. We cry to God and we say, God, establish the work of my hands. Work is not without its challenges. And I know sometimes we feel like giving up. I'm sure you have had that experience too. And so we need to learn to commit our work to the Lord. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Now, some of you own or run businesses And few know the burdens you bear and the responsibilities that are placed upon you. I mean, we have just gone through COVID-19 and I know many business owners went through some very, very rough times. Just because they don't talk about it does not mean everything is all right. We get envious when they do well. But we don't know the difficulties they go through when things are really bad. Some of you are executives. And you know the demands that are placed upon you to make the company, organization function in full throttle. It's always easier said than done. Some of you are employees on the lower end of the organization's pecking order. And you feel the pressure coming from the top downwards to perform and to make your contribution evident. Yes, these are challenges. But they make us grow as we turn our eyes to the Lord. You see, when work is regarded as worship, 
prayer takes on fresh significance. You can't do it without the support of the triune, triune God. Every day I go on my knees and pray. And I bring all the challenges, all the needs before God's throne of grace. And then I see him answering them one by one. And I know he is there. And I see his glory. You know, I like the hymn that talks about Jesus as our friend who is there to help us. And there's a stanza in this hymn that says, We have trials and temptations. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do you know the hymn? What's the hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. You know, your relationship with God will grow as you bring your needs and challenges before, the, before His throne of grace. And as you pray, you will learn the meaning of faith and trust. You will learn the meaning of persevering in prayer. You will learn the meaning of grace. You will learn the meaning of placing all your, your doubts and fear at, fears at the foot of the cross. You know, many of us have this experience here. Yeah? You have a need. You go on your knees and pray. And as you pray, you doubt. Right? God, I need this. Then you say, hmm, God is not going to give me. God, I need to succeed. No, God is not going to make me succeed. I'm going to fail. We, we, we neutralize our prayers. We say, I want this, and they say, it's not going to happen. Then why do you pray? I, I want for us to begin changing the way we pray. But it means that we need to come with clean hands and a clean heart. The Bible says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In other words, when you go on your knees to us, you, you go into the presence of God, with clean hands and a clean heart. Go ask. I know He will give. You will see your faith growing. You know the Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please Him. He that comes to God must believe that He exists and that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. It's Hebrews 11.6. And your love for God grows deeper and deeper. And soon, you will notice a deep change in your own life. You will, you will notice. Yeah. 
And not only you will notice, those around you will also notice. Your wife will notice, your children will notice, your friend will notice, because something has happened to you. You are not the same person because you have learned to make work an act of worship. There's no more this dichotomy. You are living your Christian life is an existential experience. What is God saying to you as we close? Do you see work as worship? What do you think is His call for your life? Are you doing work within the boundary of His will? Is the work you are engaged in honoring God? Do you see yourself glorifying God each day as you engage in your work? Is God using you as His witness in your workplace? If not, why not? Is your work drawing you closer to God? Are you seeking His direction in the challenges you face on a daily basis? Is God answering your prayers as you engage with Him each day? What is God saying to you? And perhaps you want to make this Sunday a spiritual, a special spiritual milestone as you offer your work as your act of worship to God because you love Him. Take that step of faith and see the glory of God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for these, <clears throat> your people in this sanctuary. Thank you for each one of them because they are special. You love them and they love you as well. And Father, I just pray that you will help them see work as an act of worship that your whole attitude towards work will change. And as it changes, they will also begin to experience your presence. And that, Father, the Christian faith will not anymore be the same because now they know you as the God who supplies and as the God who meets us at our points of need. And so I entrust these your people into your hands for a special blessing as they face the challenges of this week. In Jesus' name, amen.